from Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is What's Next, Producers Picks, highlights of conversations heard on previous episodes. On today's show... Due to the uh, intersection of the criminal legal system um, and public health, a lot of people haven't been able to understand or even examine what that looks like, um, especially when it comes to children. Near East and West Side Task Force members Francesca Messiah and Dior Lindsay. And we close out with... Academics was always number one in my house. So I'm like, you're going to be a black woman. You're going to be a black educated woman. You are going to intimidate a lot of people. But I always taught her, um, you have every right to be in a room, just like everybody else. Casina Frazier, who founded the college access coaching company, Access Granted. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. First, we revisit Jay Moran's conversation with the Near East and West Side Task Force Executive Director Francesca Messiah. The two are joined by Dior Lindsay, another member, to discuss the history and future of the task force, which began in 2006 to promote the well-being and self-sufficiency of racial and ethnic communities in Buffalo. A pleasure for sure. And uh, Francesca, let's uh, talk a little bit. Let's just maybe get into a general conversation because the, this organization has a lot of, I don't want to say moving parts, but it's its a big organization that always seems to be changing with the needs of the community, the Near East and West Side Task Force. Why don't you give us an overview? Yes. Well, the Near East and West Side Task Force um, began in 2001 with the East Side Task Force, which was a part of the Black Leadership Forum, which met at Gethsemane Baptist Church under under Reverend Reed. And in 2001, for those of you who can remember, that was a time of the uh, 22 caliber killer. And not only did the group of leaders who met within the Black Leadership Forum begin addressing that, they also began to uh, looking at the needs of the 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 health the health conditions or the lack of health of the the needs of the health on uh, the health conditions on the east side right. but the lack of services and no one person really no champion coming to say all, all the different health disparities so then there that's where the near that's where the east side task force came from and um, they met at Deaconess Hospital which then was just Deaconess Hospital but now part of but now, matter of fact, Deaconess Hospital is now uh, High Point, which is part of Kaleida Health, right. which is where I work, Kaleida Health. And so that's how the East Side Task Force began um, working closely with Kaleida Health. Mm. However, we're a collaboration of organizations. Right. So at that time, there was a, a gentleman who worked for Kaleida Health, uh, um, Andres Garcia, who was also a member of the Western New York Friends and Family Civic Hispanic Civic Association, and that formed in 2003. So many members of the task force were also members of the Hispanic organization. So it was in 2006, with through a lot of conversation, that the organizations came together because you had both you had two you had, people were going to this you know meetings for the ta- east side and the west side. Right. The mm-hmm. health conditions were the same. Education conditions were were, were the same or, or similar. And then we came, uh, had a meeting, and around that time, 2006, is when I became executive director, because I was a, at that time a, with Kaleida Health, and I'm still with Kaleida Health, and, um, and that's when we came up with the name News, 
Near East and West Side Task Force because the work that we do in the areas of health and education are focused on the East Side, uh, Lower East, the the uh, the Near East Side as well as the Lower West Side, which then was primarily a, a Latino community, and now we know it's uh, immigrants and right. Latino Huge mixed community. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, for sure. Right. Now it's interesting though because you know Kaleida in essence, supports you to, to do yes. this work with the, with the task force. I, I know you're, the interest, of course, is in improving outcomes, but at the same time, maybe just expand on you know, why is Kaleida Health so invested in making sure that there's somebody there making sure this organization runs? Well, because, because, uh, because Kaleida Health is concerned about the community, has always been concerned about the community. And when the um, task force first began, it was your your, your major health and in, health insurance companies, your, all, all all of your hospitals, ECMC, the Catholics. Mm-hmm. It was colleges and, and universities, and I believe I've never asked them, but I I believe they saw something that worked when everyone came together, you know, focusing on specific you know, focusing right. on the east side and. And 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 get seventy Baptist Church is in the fruit belt. Um, said this works. This is working. Mm-hmm. So there was no need to um, you know break what was what was working. Gotcha. And and Kaleida Health is is very supportive. Remains supportive of the Near East and West Side Task Force. Um, and and you know and they've been a member all all of these years. Mm. Dior Lindsay, uh, let's talk just a little bit more about your role here and also with uh, uh, Family Works Buffalo. Uh, yeah, sure. Just let's talk about Family Works Buffalo for, first and foremost. Just to give us an outline of what that's about. Yeah, sure. So uh, Family Works Buffalo is uh, a program of the Osborne Association. Um, and in Buffalo, we work primarily with children and families affected by a loved one's incarceration in Western New York, um, especially if the incarceration is of a parent. Um, so we support children and families that have been affected by this. But Osborne um, as a whole um, is a New York City-based agency that's been around for almost 100 years. Um, and uh, the rest of our four sites, Bronx, Brooklyn, Harlem, and Newburgh, um, really Osborne does things from arrest to reentry and children, youth, and family services and has done so for years. And talk about its how now that merges or comes into connection then with the with the Near East and West Side Task Force in terms of, you know, obviously you're, you guys are a member, you're a board yeah. member, but you're also, <laughs> the organization is a member of this task force as well. Talk about that connection. Yeah, sure. So um, Family Works Buffalo opened in uh, 2019, um, in September of 2019 in particular, and uh, during that time is when I met Fran. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I learned about the Near East and West Side Task Force and the uh, significant uh, community impact um, that it has. And due to the uh, intersection of the criminal legal system um, and public health, a lot of people haven't been able to um, understand or even examine what that looks like, um, especially when it comes to children. 
Um, so when we became members of the Near East and West Side Task Force, it was you know, a perfect connection to have. Um, I know uh, one of my colleagues, Wayne, was uh, on the show right. not too long right. ago, right. and and he brought up, um, you know, uh, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, um, and that uh, study that was done talks about the long term health impacts that children can experience, um, you know, when they're exposed to different adverse events and parental incarceration is one of the top adverse childhood experiences if i'm not mistaken it's the fourth most common hmm. and to think about aces from a public health standpoint it was you know just so essential to be a part of the work that you know the near east and west side task force has been doing and we've been members since and doing Ever wonderful since, yes. outreach and um, you know, we've been able to get connected to so many wonderful um, organizations as well as people um, during our time. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the Near East and West Side Task Force does wonderful work. I'm, I'm looking forward to a little later in the program getting a little deeper into that 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 issue that uh, sure. that uh, Family Works Buffalo gets into. But I want to st stick with the task force for just a little bit because mm -hmm. and, um, and Dior just mentioned it. Outreach. Outreach. It's really, it really is the, the yes, essence and, of and, the and, and a task force. And mm -hmm. It is, but a little before that, in even in 2001, the task force did studies looking at um, health disparities, uh, life expectancies of, of African Americans versus, versus, uh, versus white. You know, looking, why are the life expectancies shorter? Why, and this is in 2001, why, are, why is infant mortality you know, uh, why are uh, African-American moms dying in birth? Why are the babies dying? So an organization, to talk about out, we're talking about outreach, getting into outreach, such as Buffalo Pre- and Perinatal, mm -hmm. have always been a part of the Near East and West Side Task Force. We're, 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 again, we're, we're small but but we're but we're mighty. You know, this is the first executive director was uh, Dr. Juanita Hunter, uh, who is a nurse, and uh, she's she's still around here in Buffalo. Then it was Barb Franklin, Barbara Franklin, and and I'm the third executive director. And so, um, and in terms of outreach, we 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 partner that we talk about the the collaboration. So. Through conversations, through our meetings, that's where we find out, you know, uh, the, the need in the in the Broadway Fillmore community at mm -hmm. Matt Urban. You mm -hmm. know, we we've been to Matt Urban. We haven't been there recently, but we've been to Matt Urban. We've been to the Bell Center. We've been to the West Side Community Center. We've been to Johnny B. Wiley. You know, uh, the, the the Broadway Market. We've done. We've also been part of outside activities. With a woman named Mrs. Triggs, who was outside, you know, Mrs. Who, Triggs, Mrs. Triggs, Sycamore, right? Sycamore, yeah, yeah. but mm -hmm. she does outreach, even including in, in BlackRock. But you know, once we hear of the need, and if and Buffalo Municipal Housing been working mm -hmm. closely with BMHA in terms of providing services, bringing the services, because we know, and and when when you're living in, they call it health disparities. I call it life disparities. Right. When when you're living in in, in conditions where you, you where you're on it you don't have a car, the bus system is slower. You have you have children at home. You may have loved ones at home. You can't go that far. It's much easier mm -hmm. if you can get your health insurance, receive a health screening, 
find out information on how to, uh, you know, work with your information and working with a child whose parent is is in in prison, incarcerate. It's much easier to to take your, you know, maybe push your loved one in a wheelchair, take that baby in a stroller. It's much easier if you can just have to walk a few blocks somewhere your, in your neighborhood to your community mm-hmm. center. Right, right. And we but, work year round. And like you said, you're out you're doing the outreach and you're you're seeing these things. What what are you learning about the people of Buffalo? What are you seeing? Um, we're you know what? One of the things I will learn say that people are more open about their health. Mm-hmm. That's good news. Yes. And I'll say especially with diabetes. Okay. Okay, I'll just use that as an example. And a significant one. Significant. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. working again, working with Kaleida, the resources, I always am able to have um, diabetes information or stroke information. People are now having conversations. You know, how, you know, I'm, you know, can I get that information on low blood sugar, high blood sugar? Can I get that information again on, you know, how, 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 how to prepare my plate? And by the way, do you have information on uh, a, a, a primary care physician? Mm-hmm. Because we work with general physicians. So, you know, we need information on primary care physicians and also the Community Health Center of Buffalo, which is where you which is where uh, uh, Dior's office is mm-hmm. housed, working along with um, Levon and Sari. For years, we've worked along with her in terms of, um, you know, because they have dental. So mm-hmm. people are now more open and more comfortable because I think because there is, there are more health organizations working with health disparities, you know, such as a Buffalo Health Equity. So and overall, though, I mean, since your time there and before, and you have a, Great experience in Buffalo. Do you just do you see that these outreach efforts are are getting making people more comfortable with coming up and really yes. exploring the stuff, the information that you you are offering? They, they are, and I do surveys. So okay. every so after each outreach, there is an evaluation, <laughs> right? Yes, there me. is. Yeah, I didn't get your evaluation. So each organization turns in an evaluation. And and so it's not me saying how it's working. Okay. It's the organization. It's also how many outreach, how many people, how many people have has independent health, has Univera, mm-hmm. has Highmark, how many people have they enrolled through the outreach? So that's what keeps people coming back and be being members because we're able to track. Mm-hmm. Well, Dior, I, I you, you, you yes. smiled and started laughing there, <laughs> so you know about the the, the survey. So. Tell us uh, maybe about the survey. Tell us maybe some of the input that you've offered. Yeah. um, You know, we track, you know, how many people came to our table. What are some of those conversations that are being had? What are some of the resources that are being offered to the families um, or any of the individuals that have, um, you know, come to your table and inquired, you know, about the resources. Um, and I mean, we, we do our own internally, but that's why I chuckle. Cause I was like, yeah, we do every single <laughs> event. Um, and I think it's important for us to, you know, take a moment to recognize that, you know, these numbers, you know, reflect the number of instances that we have opportunities to really make a significant impact in someone's life Mm -hmm. by offering them resources that they didn't know existed or didn't think could have been so important to them. Uh, I mean, I I can only, you know, speak for, you know, my experiences particularly, but 
Um, I can tell you how many times folks have come to our table and said, I wish these resources were available when I was a kid. Um, Or, you know, I had no idea that, you know, video visiting was something that was local that I could do with my loved ones that are incarcerated. Um, Or, you know, oftentimes that stigma piece is also there. Like, oh, you know, I don't need that or, you know. Um, thank goodness I don't need that, which absolutely, um, you know, but for the folks that do statistically one out of two people do. And with that frequency, um, you know, just having the opportunity to, to really provide information is just essential. And, um, I, I think the Near East and West Side Task Force does an amazing job with that. And, and, and so to outreach, let's say for Dior, I may have next to the table, cause sometimes I do, I've. I am strategic. When I place people next to each other, mm-hmm. next to it, I may have Juville with with the student, um, the student pharmacist. Okay. And that way, people, because a lot of times when you're in the community, you really don't know that you don't understand the medication you're taking. You don't know why you really should take your high blood pressure medicine every day, even though hypertension is tied in with heart disease and stroke. You really don't know. So then, one of one of our board members, Lynn, uh, uh, Doctor Rivers. She will have some of her students. We've had physical therapy students. We've had pharmacy students. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with another member, we've had um, nursing students who are able to take blood pressure. Who are a- I've seen people go home, again, because it's close, get their medicine, come back, speak really? with the pharmacy student, and ask them about their medication. But then, of course, there's, there's someone who's over the students. You know, I've seen people with physical therapy do the, I think I, I forgot what the test is called, something with, it's walking, but again, it's testing, testing your gait. And again, making people aware of the, the services mm-hmm. that are, are through Juville College, because again, Juville has been a member of the task force for many years. I, I'm of the belief that health and education go hand in hand mm-hmm. and, and you can't separate them. Mm-hmm. What about uh, the comfort level for somebody who comes to one of your events let's for talk the, about that what so that's the, like the uh the, the comfort level even when you can't speak english th- smiles Which is becoming more and more significant smiles go mm-hmm. a long way yeah smiles go and communication and when you point because norm many times there's there could be somebody with them who does speak a little english and working along with urban league and project hope they have um outreach people that speak six different languages. Hmm. So sometimes I can just go over to Project Hope and ask, does someone speak Bengali? You know, does someone speak one of the languages? They'll walk around with them. Um, okay. when, I, when we have outreach at BMHA, there's someone that speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. One of our board members, Esmeralda, speaks Spanish. So when someone really does not speak the language, again, <laughs> that's also street, making sure that people are around who, who, who are able to speak the language who then are able to to walk around with the individual for that comfort level mm-hmm. versus saying sorry. Right. You know, I don't like that word sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like something you accept. No. <laughs> uh, what, what about the the trust factor? Uh, there's always, you know, we hear about that a little bit when it comes to people in the community may not trust or don't feel comfortable approaching certain Certain elements. What about that? Is that something that you're aware of, or is it something well, that you, you know, see is generally not an issue for you? Most of our members are all in their role. If it's a health or education, they're all in the outreach 
area. Okay. So they're used to being out in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out. Uh, I, there is a, I'll never forget observing one of our members one time. My gosh, she, she was just so quiet. But when, but when, what, what, when someone from the community, one of the customers, came up to her, she just lightened. She just opened mm-hmm. up, <laughs> and I said, her, "That's her style." You know, everyone has a different style for comfort, and um, you know, and and when I know for our behavioral health, when I know we have a behavioral health organization, if it's crisis services, if it's mm-hmm. if it's Ur- if it's Urban League Project Hope, I put them in the corner. I'll make sure that that's a corner table. So then they can have a chair on the corner, and there's no and there's no one next to them. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And they can have a, a, a more of a private conversation because many times it's just it's the beginning conversation that will lead to a that's part of a lead, a phone conversation later on in detail. Mm-hmm. But for behavioral health, um, they're they're in the corner, like they wouldn't be in the middle in between. Um, you know, UB research and and um, let's say and 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 Osborne, they would not be between those two. They their privacy because I recognize that. Dior, I want to get into a little bit more about what um, Family Works Buffalo does. Just a little bit, take some time here because, as I, Fran mentioned, how often it people are surprised mm-hmm. yeah. to know that there is an opportunity here for uh, you know loved ones of, of people who are incarcerated to 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 connect better to find. Opportunities. Talk about you know what is available through Family Works Buffalo. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so locally, uh, our services are uh, video visiting. That's one of them. Um, so families can come to our office, which is located in the Community Health Center, Buffalo, thirty four Benwood Avenue, which once again talks about that intersectionality of the criminal legal system and uh, public health. Um, but families can come to our office for free once a month. Um, up to four family members, and they can visit with an incarcerated loved one for 11 different New York State correctional facilities. Um, And the room is set up kind of like a living room with a whole bunch of toys, books, and games. Um, It's very well-lit, therapeutic, and um, families are able to take that time to bond at no cost. And, of course, it's never uh, meant to replace anything in person. No. Because, um, you know, you can't replicate a hug virtually. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, families are able to, to have that opportunity to bond. And, um, you know, during the higher points of COVID, when uh, in-person uh, video visit, uh, in-person visiting um, opportunities weren't uh, available, uh, we had uh, uh, over 100 video visits in less than a year just right. at our site alone. Um, so it's one of our more popular services um, locally that we have in our program, as well as we have two youth groups, uh, one for kids 12 to 15, another for kids 15 to 19 that have also had this experience of having a loved one incarcerated or recently released. And it's our once a week support group. They do them in New York City. We really just brought it here and offered that opportunity. So we have over 20 kids in our group right now and they do really fun um, uh, really fun workshops, very educational workshops. Do you as find well. the kids bonding together? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, relationship building and building social support, and um, really maximizing those opportunities to uh, build resilience is really just everything that that we do through a lot of our work. Something so. you mentioned to me before we were on the air, and this this caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, a lot of things catch me off guard. But this one particular fact, um, when it comes to maximum security for women in New York State, the yes. closest facility is where? Yeah, Bedford Hills is six and a half hours away from Buffalo. And um, for our video visiting program, we're in all of the women's correctional facilities, which is Bedford, Taconic, and Albion. And if you have a loved one that's at Bedford, you're, you know, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of finances um, are going to have to be put into actually visiting that loved one in person, which we always encourage in person. But um, Bedford Hills is one of our uh, more popular sites just in Buffalo alone, just because of the time and the distance it takes to actually visit. What's it like for these kids with, when they're on these video calls or just in general conversation that you you might have with them? What's what's their experience? Oh, I could, I mean, I could take up a whole episode just talking about that. <laughs> we may be inviting you back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I have had instances where I've had uh, kids just bring their, you know, sign saying, Dad, mm. like, I'm graduating from high school. I'm doing that one thing that you said that you wanted to make sure that I'm doing because um, you never got a chance to do it, right? I've seen instances where, you know, parents are parenting their kids in the video visitor room. Hey, I was at the parent-teacher conference. You know, I heard X, Y, and Z. What's going on? What do you need? Um, I see kids light up, you know, having that opportunity to see mom or dad in that room, um, you know, whether or not they're they're playing Uno or, you know, uh, whatever games they may play or whether or not they're um, reading a book together. I've just seen the opportunity for family bonding. Um, and even just one instance, we also take in, um, you know, kids that are also in foster care that have a loved one. So I've had foster, uh, foster care parents, I've had the mom, the caseworker, and the child visit with mom and it made her re-entry and reunion with the child so much easier so just offering the opportunity for support has just been it's it's one of the the joys of our program that i really love talking about that was jay moran with francesca messiah and dior Lindsay of the near east and west side task force and we close today's show with angeli preston in conversation with casina frazier whose company Access Granted helps underrepresented and marginalized communities through the college enrollment process. Thank you so much, Angeli, for having me. How, first, how are you? How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, the sun is shining, so I'm happy about that. Sun always makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I always say any day above ground is a great day. Let's talk about Access Granted. Yes. What is Access Granted? So Access Granted um, basically is college access consulting. Unlocking your full potential with the education as key. So what I do, I serve underserved and marginalized student populations just to help them not only get to college, but get through college and whatever that looks like for them. It can be a certificate program, four-year degree, if they want to get a master's, even go as far as a doctorate degree. What made you want to start Access Granite? It was a lot of different things. So I'm a master's level social worker, um, so I have a master's in social work. My why, um, I always say, is because no one was there for me when it was time for me to navigate the process of college, right? When I was in high school, a guidance counselor really didn't provide that much guidance. 
per se. I was accepted into an HEOP program because I am a first generation college student. So shout out to all the first gen students. Shout out, me too. Yes. <laughs> um, so I am a first generation college student. I was accepted into this particular program um, because I'm first gen, because I came from a single family household. My grades were not really bad, but not like super great. And this particular program um, was for students like me. Um, so I had all of those qualifying factors. However, it was never really explained to me properly when the guidance counselor, you know, told me like, oh, yeah, you got into this university and you have to go in the summertime. I completely shut down. Like, I don't want to go in the summertime. It was my first summer out of high school. And I'm like, I just want to work and just hang with my friends and be with my boyfriend right. and not like go to school. Right. But she never really pitched it to me as this is why this is why you were chosen. This will set you up for X, Y, and Z. You're going to get a head start. You're going to be able to, you know, further academically excel. By the time September comes, you'll have friends. You'll have, you know, like all of these things, all of the benefits of the program um, should have been sold to me, and it was not. So now here I am. I do have three degrees now. Praise God. I was able to make it through. But I had to navigate that process by myself financially, doing the FAFSA, um, just kind of figuring it out, working, going to school. Then I became a mom. So, like, I feel like if I would have had the knowledge um, that I'm giving students right now, if I would have had that or someone to impart that in me at an earlier age, who knows where, you know, where I would be. So that is my why. I, I do this because no one did it for me. I also understand that the population of students that I serve, the under-marginalized, the underserved, they don't have the same access to um, higher ed as their affluent peers, right? They don't have parents who have been there before them. So many of them are the first, and being first is scary, as we all know, right? You have a lot of weight on your shoulders, maybe from your family, or you still have to work and you still have to provide, or you have someone telling you, you know, you can't do it because I didn't do it, or you might have dreams and aspirations and someone shooting them down all the time because right. they didn't achieve it, then they're, you know, just placing that that doubt in your head. And then you have that negative self-talk that um, comes in. So I do what I do because I want all of the students who want to go to college or get a certificate or do something that no one else in their family um, has done. I am like their biggest cheerleader. I'm their advocate. I'm there to give them the tools whatever they need to make sure that they're able just to be successful. So you mentioned the guidance counselor mm -hmm. that really didn't have any, didn't really provide any guidance for Correct. you. And I'm assuming you were 17 or 18 Correct. when most students are, when most kids, mm -hmm. youth, teenagers are trying to figure out if they're going to go to college. Right. And I could only imagine um, as I was once 17 and 18, that the amount of responsibility mm -hmm. that that is and how scary it can be for a youth, a teenager who doesn't have that guidance to try to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and um, just to speak to what you're saying, like at 17 and 18, like it's super unrealistic now that we think about it for you to know what you want to be when you grow up, essentially, right? At 17 and 18, you're still finding yourself. You're still exploring. Um, with Access Granted, I also do career exploration as well. Yes, I am a college access consultant. Um, yes, my workshops are around um, the tools that you need, but it's also exploring different careers as well. So, yeah, like like you said, at 17 and 18, they might, like, 
I get Miss, I don't know. Miss, I don't know. Miss, I don't know. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's delve deep into it. So really just having these conversations with the students that they're not able to have with probably a guidance counselor who does not have time or they might not have like a trusting teacher or, you know, family members. Once again, um, they're probably first generation. So just helping them explore what that can look like for them so that they can do something that they're able to, you know, sustain a living wage for their families um, as they move forward. So pretty much really breaking that, that generational curse of poverty, breaking that cycle. Um, the surest way out of poverty is education, right? And, you know, just letting them know that it is attainable. It's definitely attainable. You, you might have to work a little hard for it. Not might. You will have to work a little hard for it. Um, but it is attainable if you have the right um, right knowledge and the right support, essentially. What do you tell your students and those that you coach who are unsure of, of you know, the the major that they want? May, mm -hmm. They may want to one day, one semester, they may want to do nursing. Then they're like, oh, well, I really don't want to do that, but mm -hmm. I'm scared to to try another major. What would you tell them? It is okay to not know, number one. We don't have to have everything figured out. Um, I work with a lot of adults that don't have everything figured out. I don't even have everything <laughs> figured <either>. out, right? <laughs> so I just let them know, like, it's okay to not know. And you are at the time now where it's okay to explore, right? When I was 17 and 18 in high school, I didn't have all of the I wasn't afforded all of the things that like these students have now with like apprenticeship program and um, internship programs and a mentor. No one told me the importance of a mentor, right? I have a mentor and I'm super grown, right? Big grown business <laughs> owner. I'm a mom, but I still have a mentor. So even just telling them like to seek out someone in the field, I pretty much know someone in every field. Like if I don't know them, I can find them. So just linking them up with someone who wants to do it. It's like, okay, you want to be a nurse? Let's talk about it. Because nurses do many things. I have a lot of nurse friends that work in many different nursing capacities. Let me link you with them. Have a conversation with them. Maybe you can shadow them, you know, at some point, depending on what they do. Um, so really just helping them explore it because or get an internship. Because they might have one day and they're like, ooh, I thought I wanted to be a nurse until I saw that blood and now I do not. <laughs> so let's move on to something else. I do different assessments when I am able to do one-on-one, -on -one, different assessments just to see where your strengths are. Um, because if you super suck at, like, math and science and you want to be a nurse, eh, we're going to have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> what can we do to strengthen those skills? Or if it's just super, super bad, let's explore something else. There's a lot of other different fields um, in the medical fields aside from nursing. It's usually just people's go-to because that's all they know. So really just having those in-depth conversations with them. I like my students to dream big. Nothing is too far-fetched. I always say, if you tell me you want to be an astronaut and you want to go to the moon, let's get it. How are we going to get there? What needs to happen to get from you being this high school student to getting up there in the sky, right? So not never belittling them, never minimizing and shooting down their dreams. But whatever you want to do, let's talk about it. How does your work look uh, versus um, when you're working with a youth versus an adult? Because you mentioned that you also have adults that you work with. Mm -hmm. Do those two programs look the same or how do you go about that? So usually when it's the adults, um, it's not more so the one-on-one. -on -one. It's usually the parents of the students. Um, but then that brings on a lot of questions from the parents as well because, like I said, these are marginalized communities where the parents have no clue about anything right so Johnny can be coming to mom and saying like 
oh, hey, I want to do this, or Miss Cassina and I talked about this, and now these are raising a lot of questions for the parents because this is foreign knowledge to them. So for the most part, the students have more knowledge than than the parents. So I'm really only working with the students, um, but when I'm having these conversations with the adults or with the program directors or the counselors in, you know, different um, agencies or schools that hire me to come in to do, like, these workshops, that's really the only time where I'm really having you know, the conversations with, with the adults. But pretty much just having the reinforcement, right? Like, so if I'm in a high school or if I'm in a college working with first-year college students, usually the director, they hire me for a specific topic. I come in, I talk about that. But then that also gives them something to build on, right? So if we're talking about, for instance, time management and what that looks like. We have 24 hours in a day. What are you doing with your time? How can you delegate, you know, time to do this and that when it comes to, you know, your academic success? And then after that, after that 90 minutes with me, then that leaves them with something to build on, whether it's the parent like, okay, now remember Miss Casina said, or you had that workshop and kind of just layer it to keep moving forward. And then that's not like the only time that they hear about it. I want to talk about your background. You're originally from New Jersey. I am. When did, what made you decide to come to the Western New York area? Well, it wasn't really a choice. Um, <laughs> I was still under underage. I was 14 when we moved to Niagara Falls. So my parents are from this area. Um, my mom's from Niagara Falls. My dad um, was from Buffalo. So Western New York was their home. Um, my sister and I were both born in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, and then we migrated back up this way when I was actually in high school. Um, my grandma, um, who has um, passed on, she was getting older and my mom had been away from home since she graduated high school. So she just wanted to come back and be closer to, you know, closer to her mom, closer to family. So that's how we made our way back on up here. So it's been since 94. So Buffalo is home for me. I still go back to Jersey to visit, but I have no family in Jersey. Um, Buffalo is home. All of my family is here in the city of Buffalo. Talk about your experience um, going to school in the Niagara Falls School District. How was that for you? It was really a shock for me because I transferred the second part of ninth grade, so right after Christmas break. So I actually started high school in Jersey, and I came here. Initially, I did not want to move, right? All of my friends' groups, everything was there in Jersey. I really did not want to move. But, of course, you know, when your family moves, you have to. I really didn't have a choice. Um, going to the Niagara Falls School District for me, was well first of all the school was literally like a quarter size of my school in jersey um my school in jersey was like four of my niagara falls high schools in one it was was, huge so the school you went to in the falls was smaller small very small i am a musician i've been singing since i can talk at that time i played the clarinet also since the fifth grade my band in jersey literally was like hbcu marching band we did field shows we had dancers Coming here, well, to Niagara Falls, the band was much smaller. They never even got on the field. I was like, wait, what? What do you mean? So everything was just so, so different. High school did turn out to be a great experience because I've always been a people person. So meeting people, I have no problem doing that. I never have. It was just being separated from my friends. But once I got past that, and it's like, okay, Cassini, you're here now, make the best of it. I had a couple of friends who were still friends to this day, one of which we literally talk almost every day. She's actually relocated. She's in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we've literally been friends since since ninth grade. So I have been able to make some long lasting 
relationships, but initially I was like, I do not want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I that's like every every uh, child who moves exactly. to a different area. Like, right, because oh, you're the new girl, yep. right? So then you have to go through, and I went through all of those things, having to prove yourself. Maybe I like you or maybe I don't. Or it's just the awkwardness, but... That was, like, so long ago, and it was way different. That was before social media. That was before, you know, so it was It was definitely, it was an experience. But I would say it made me, you know, who, who I am today because I was, like, forced to be in a new atmosphere, and I had to adapt, just like I tell my students. They have to when they get on a college campus, right? College is different. It's new. Depends on if you go to a PWI or HBCU and it's, it's just going to look different, but you have to adapt to your surroundings um, and you have to get those tools um, that are in your toolbox that you've gotten from life or your mentor or your teachers or if you've participated in some of my workshops and pull those tools out of that toolbox and, um, you know, make, make it happen. Let's talk about your experience in education because mm-hmm. you have three degrees. Yes. So what, an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's? Yes. Like the, the triple threat and here. And a certificate, too. And a certificate. So, four. <laughs> so you are more than qualified to to coach these students mm-hmm. and, to, and to teach these students and to show them the way. Um, talk about your experience in higher education. Uh, when, where, What did you do before you started your company? So before I started my company, I was working in the school building for a school-based preventive program, so working alongside of Erie County Child Protection, and I would work with students who were at risk from being removed from their home. So really my program was a last resort for these students. So it's either you work with this program or, um, you know, we're going to have to talk about separating. So what that looked like was um, case management, um, making sure that the family had all they need, identifying goals with the family, seeing what they had going on. So whether if parents or guardians needed mental health or if they had substance abuse problems or addiction and things like that. So I did that prior to going into higher education. I also worked for child protection, um, right? Really did not like working for child protection. It was then, well, coming out of undergrad, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I want to save the world. I want to make sure that, you know, these kids are safe. But when you're on the other side, you realize that there's a lot of politics around a lot of different things. And I cannot work or be a part of something where my mission and values don't align with the work that I'm doing. So I am seeing, um, when we talk about generational curses, right, I'm seeing generation after generation after generation have the same issues. I'm looking at cases where this is a teen parent, but... Her mom was also going through domestic violence, and the grandma was also going through domestic violence. So now we're on generation number four. They're all going through domestic violence. What is happening here? Like, why is this continual? What is someone doing or not doing to break this generational curse? For me, I want—I always wanted to be the person. Um, we know the problem, but what is the solution I don't want to put a Band-Aid over it, right? I want to give you a solution to change that, right? I don't don't want this to be a continual problem. So that was one reason why I just could not do that because it really was put a Band-Aid over it, move move it on. 
I, mm. I just not that's just not something I could subscribe to. I've worked in adoption. I've worked in foster care. I've worked with parenting teams at an organization here literally up until like a couple months ago. Did that for nine years just to help these teens be better moms, teach them that, you know, if you're not okay, your baby would never be okay, right? What does that look like? What do you need to do to, you know, make yourself okay for this child? Because once again, we're, you know, breaking breaking barriers, breaking those generational curses. And now I'm working in higher ed for a pre-collegiate program, um, aside from doing access granted. So um, I have been working with children and families oh, so long, <laughs> well over a decade at this point. But that is my passion. I always say college access is my jam. I've coined myself as a college access champion because I am going to rah-rah for you to, <laughs> you know what I mean, be able to do, like I said, whatever it is you want to do. Because everyone should have equitable access to college education, right? It's, it's not fair that some people have more leverage than others just because of their background or where they come from. Um, and part of my mission for Access Granted is a student zip code, race, or parental status should not affect, you know, where you can go with in, in regards to your education. And it's okay to be first. I tell my students that all the time. It's, it's okay. okay to be first. <laughs> I was first and here I am. <laughs> I want to talk about that, uh, the first generation. But before you uh, mentioned something, um, you just said it, that everyone should have access to education. Absolutely. And though your focus, part of um, Access Granted, um, your focus is black and brown youth. It's not limited to that. Correct. It's for everyone. Talk about Absolutely. that more. Yeah, so when I always say that, I do have some people. I did another interview before, and people can be closed-minded. I say a lot, but we all know that people can pick. They pick out what they want to hear. So I do say, yes, black and brown. But statistically, black and brown students are the ones who are getting left behind, right, when you look at the data. I do serve underrepresented and marginalized populations. That's not always black and brown students. I serve all students, right? I'm, I'm not just like, oh, I'm just here for, but do I enjoy serving my students that look like me? Absolutely, because I know that those students really are the ones that are falling between the cracks, um, right? I've, I've worked with a sixth grader who was barely reading on a first grade level. Those wow. students are the ones that are falling between the cracks. A lot of times people that don't look like me have an advantage just because of what they look like. They can also be poor. They can also live in a low income, but they are also going to still have that privilege because they are not a black and brown person. So I always want to just make it clear that I do work with all students, not just black and brown students, um, because some people I've, I've had, like I said, I've had someone like, oh, well, she just, it's like, no, I work with all students. Everyone. I work with everyone, yes. Um, but when we were talking about that understanding, when we were talking about those marginalized populations, it does look different for them. They navigate education different. They navigate higher ed different. They navigate life different, right? I always tell my students about Brown versus Board of Education. This education system was never created for black and brown students. And even now in 2023, um, just so many different things that are coming, you know, coming back. It's just... It's kind of like everything is just being overturned and affirmative action and higher ed and people are still discriminated against. But it's not, you know, the people that don't look like me. Right. It's those black and brown students. So, yeah, I'm definitely um, a huge advocate for for them. I am not going to sugarcoat anything. If you're wrong, 
I'm going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to be your yes person. I'm going to critique you. I'm going to give you suggestions. Like, I am the mom. <laughs> I'm the mom, <laughs> the mom figure. But they appreciate that because this generation, as much as they fight it, they long for structure. They long for someone who is really, like, in their corner no matter what, whether they have behaviors or what. Like, I don't get offended. Everyone's entitled to a bad day. I demand respect. I don't tolerate disrespect at all. You don't have to like me, but you will respect me. Um, so even with my students that I work with on a regular basis, they know, like, Miss Casina, I will have fun with you. I will do TikToks with you. We will sing. <laughs> yes, TikToks. Yes. <laughs> I'm not that great at it, but, I mean, I'll do it. We will sing, dance, laugh, and play. But when it's time to get down to business, you know, I'm about business. And if, if they have their little attitude, they go, that's fine. No hard feelings. Next time I see you, hey, girl, <laughs> give me a hug. You know, it's, it's, it's all love. So they definitely respect the genuineness and just taking the time to just actually sit with them. I've had students like, I've never had anyone that cared enough to even sit and ask me, what do I want to do? Let alone go as far as, you know, you and I have, have gone. So... And that'll do it for Producers' Picks. We would like to thank our guests, Francesca Messiah, Dior Lindsay, and Casina Frazier. If you missed anything or you'd like to hear it again, you can get this program as a podcast wherever you get your podcast or on the Amplify BTPM app. Each episode is also online at WBFO.org. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening.